1: Chargers fans, welcome back to The Guilty as Charged podcast. This is Tyler and joining me as always are Jason and Stephen Boys. How are we doing today?
2: I'm doing great. It's a good Sunday here in the Central Valley. Supposed to get up to 100 degrees this week, which will suck.
3: 111 uh, over there. It's nice to be yeah. where I am right now. <laughs> but it's all good.
1: Jason, how are you?
3: Um, uh, fine nice were you expecting something more Oh,
1: i'm doing great i don't know tell me about your life story no i'm kidding all right so today we're doing a couple of things so last episode we talked about the offensive skill positions and their stat projections today we're going to talk about the defense and their stat projections as well as an interview that steven has with someone very very special so we'll get right into it all right so let's start with those defensive stat predictions
2: yeah, so I'm going to do the defensive line like Tyler said. Um, I'm not going to talk about like Joe Gaziano as much as I would love to or Isaac Rochelle. I just don't think that they'll play a whole lot. So I'm just going to be talking about Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, and Chenna Unwosu, Linvad Joseph, Justin Jones, and Jerry Tillery. Uh, so Joey Bosa, I think, you know, it's a contract year, so I think we really could see him playing with his hair on fire and really just have this amazing season. And if the team really does blitz more, You know, I think that is definitely a reasonable expectation. Uh, So in his two healthy seasons, he's averaged around 12 sacks a game. Um, I think he could get up to like 13, 13 and a half uh, if he plays all 16 again. And I think we could see him get around 75 tackles, 20 tackles for loss, 35 quarterback hits, and two or three forced fumbles. Um, That really, like it sounds like a lot, and it is, but it's really only a modest increase across the board which you know mm-hmm. I, I think if he stays healthy and the team does blitz more and frees him up for more one-on-one battles I think that should be pretty reasonable um, his production has been pretty consistent so it's not that hard to predict Ingram however has been kind of all over the board um, his he missed three games last mm-hmm. season but he actually produced relatively similar to what he did in 2018 and 16 games um, and he's been getting around seven to ten sacks around 50 kind of 50 tackles, and then his tackles for loss and quarterback hits are really kind of all over the map. Um, Mm -hmm. So, because he had only missed three games and because he was coming off four seasons in a row of playing all 16 games, uh, I would expect him to be around that 14, 15, 16 game mark again. You know, we've had no reason to to doubt his ability to stay healthy. Um, So again, you know, assuming he gets more one-on-one battles, I think he could get to Back to ten sacks, which we haven't seen in a couple years, uh, around fifty-five tackles, fourteen of which for loss, eighteen quarterback hits, and two forced fumbles. That's been kind of where he has the advantage over Joey Bosa. He's been a little bit more disruptive in forcing fumbles, um, so maybe that could get up to like four or five. Uh, but again, that really will depend on on how much he's freed up to be in one-on-one situations. So Unchenna Unwosu, I think he will play a little bit more this past than this past year. Um, he actually played 37% of the team's total snaps, but again, Ingram missed three games so that kind of uh, boosted that number up right In his rookie year it was 26%. So you know if he plays a little bit more linebacker and a little bit more defensive end, I think we could see him around that 40% mark. and if that happens, maybe we see him get five sacks this year for the first time. Um, even with a slight increase, I think that's pretty reasonable. you know he's shown the ability to be disruptive in spurts and I think that could be realistic. And then again, because he does both positions, I think he could get upwards of 35 tackles, eight for loss, and 12 quarterback hits, and maybe he forces us a home world two. Um, again, that's assuming health. Assuming mm-hmm. he does eat into Ingram's work a little bit more than he did last year. So I'll move on to defensive tackles. Um, Linval Joseph is a guy I'm really excited about this season because he had his last he had his worst season of his career, well, since his rookie year last year. And it was still far better than anything Brandon Meebane had done in his career. Um, so he had his play, he had his snap rate reduced around 60% last year, or 51% is what it was. And he had three sacks, 44 tackles, six for loss, and six total quarterback hits. So that was in his worst year of his career. And that was still really solid. And it was still better than anything Meebane had done. Um, I would expect him to get around 60% of the team snaps this year because he is a little older. So I'm not expecting like a full you know, 75, 80% snap share, but 60% should be pretty reasonable. Um, And if that does happen, he could get, I think I could feel comfortable predicting four sacks, 48 tackles, eight for loss, and eight total quarterback hits. Um, Again, a modest increase, but still better than anything Brandon Mebane was able to do as a charger. Uh, Then Justin Jones and Jerry Tillery is where it gets interesting because I think this could be about a 50% split between the two of them. Um, you know, We don't really know how either of them are developing in the coronavirus world, so I'm not expecting either one to really establish themselves as as the guy. I think it's going to be pretty close to that 50-50 split. Um, Justin Jones registered 30 total tackles, two for loss, and three quarterback hits in 12 games last season. Uh, he did not get any sacks, but I think that would change a little bit, and he played around 52% of his snaps last year, so... If he stays around that workload, I think he could get a couple of sacks, 35 tackles, 5 for loss, and 5 quarterback hits. You know, that seems pretty reasonable. Um, but I would expect Jerry Tillery to be more of the pass rusher between the three defensive tackles. Um, he played 30 percent, 36% of the snaps last season and got 2 sacks, 17 total tackles, 3 for loss, and 3 quarterback hits. Uh, so if we see that snap share increase like I think we... I think all of us think that he's probably going to be around 50% of the snap share this year. Uh, We could see a mini breakout for him. I'm not going to go out on limb and say he's going to get double digit sacks or anything like that, but I think it's reasonable to expect five or six sacks, 28 tackles, five for loss, and eight quarterback hits. Uh, So those are my predictions from the six guys. I think most of them are pretty reasonable. I'm not really expecting anyone to just blow us out of the water, I think. Again, Joey Bosa is probably the one to see the the biggest increase in production, just because contract year. You know, he's probably he's fully healthy, and I think he he gets freed up for more one on one battles this year. And Jerry Tillery, I think we could see a mini breakout. I'm not gonna again. I don't feel comfortable saying that he's going to be the guy in this defensive tackle room. Um, But if he you know he's healthy right now, and if that maintains throughout the year, I think we could see a little a bigger boost than what Justin Jones was able to do from year 1 to year 2. So, yeah, that's that's my three, that's my six predictions and uh I feel pretty good about those.
3: Just a brief thought. Did we do Bobby Holly predictions last week, last episode? Did we skip touchdowns. Bobby Ho- Oh, okay. 16 touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um,
2: me- No, I, as much as I think Bobby Holly is going to make the roster cuz I did do the running backs, you know, you just don't really know. Like I think that he can make it, but again, you never really know which fullback is going mm-hmm. to come out and really just, you know, knock the socks off of the coaching staff. And so I, yeah. I didn't want to put predict stat predictions, that or if
3: they for... if they even run with a fullback.
2: Yeah. Anyway, too. that's kind of off track.
3: Yeah. I was just curious.
1: No, it's all good. Well, Bobby Holly could play linebacker. Actually. Linebacker, that'd be kind of fun. Anyway, um, so I have linebackers, and I'm starting with Kenneth Murray. Obviously, it's tough to project him because he's never played a snap in the NFL. So I used a combination of in 2018, you had Kaiser White and Jatavis Brown. And then 2019, you had Thomas Davis. And then I'm using a little bit of Jatavis Brown's rookie year as well to help kind of figure out where his stats are going to be. Um, so in 2018, Jatavis Brown and Kaiser White had 86 total tackles, uh, solo tackles. That's a big thing. I'm not talking about combined tackles. Solo. So if the numbers seem low. It's just because they're solo based off of pro football focus. So 86 solo, 31 run stops, two total pressures. Thomas Davis by himself, 80 solo tackles, 39 run stops, three total pressures. So I'm kind of of just doing that for Kenneth Murray. So I have 75 total solo tackles, 30 run stops. But the big difference here is 10 pressures and four sacks. Uh, I'm using four sacks because J. Davis Brown had that his rookie season. And then Murray, his last two seasons at Oklahoma, had four and a half and four sacks. Um, Obviously, if you watch Kenneth Murray play, you know they're going to use him as a blitzer more than, I believe, like Brown. I don't know what White's plan was because he only played three games in 2018 and then more than Davis. So I think that will increase. Maybe his tackles decrease. I can't imagine it's it's a really bad season for him. He's got tons of talent around him. So that's about the season I'm going to have for him. The next one's kind of tricky and these go hand in hand. It's Perryman and Tranquil in the same-ish kind of role. So I'm basing this based off of their final, well, Perryman's final six games and then Tranquil's final five games where they played at the same time and at least like a, a good share amount of snaps. It wasn't like, because there were games where Tranquil would play most, most of the game because Perryman was hurt or whatever. So I'm trying to find games right. where they worked in the same tandem. The hard part about this one is because is A, Perryman could miss games and I expect him to miss games and I projected him like that. And B, even if they start with an even share, Tranquil could just slowly take the snaps as the season goes along so it's that's gonna mess up the final numbers at the end of next year or this year this season. Um, so I'm just trying to project him playing the same amount of snaps for all the games they're expected to play. Otherwise, it's just that's just too much math for me. And I'm a bio major. So yeah, uh, Perryman, the final six games uh, to finish 2019, he logged over 30 snaps just once, um, and I think that's probably gonna be about right heading into this season. I guess surprisingly, I didn't realize this. Perryman actually averages more tackles and run stops per snap than Tranquil. Food for thought. Um, so Perryman at 0.18 tackles per snap and uh, 0.08 run stops per snap. It's very small. but That sounds very small, but over a 14-game season, I gave him a 14-game season because, listen, I think he misses more games than that usually, but he's also going to be in a smaller role this season, so I think his health might hold for like 14 games this season, so we'll see. But still missing too. So the final stat line for Perryman... Uh, at 25 snaps per game, he'll miss two games. 63 tackles, 28 run stops, zero pressures. I don't see any reason to tack on any pressures for Perryman. Um, but, you know, not a, not a terrible season. Um, no, Neither of these guys I really think are going to top 100. Uh, it's just going to be that tandem split. Unless Perryman goes down early, then sure, Tranquil has a shot or whatever. Right. But so Tranquil, I used his five games from last year. I believe Tranquil missed a game last year, which is weird. I didn't expect him to miss. I forget which game it was. Anyway. Um, so him about thirty snaps per game, 0.15 tackles per snap, point zero seven run stops per snap. Uh, so he's I have him finishing out at seventy two total solo, solo tackles, thirty four run stops, and I threw in a pressure for good measure. So there's that, and I, I could have gone through and done like oh, you know how many receptions is he going to allow? Um, how many you know what's what's the percentage? How many you know penalties is going to have? Hold, you know I just I don't know going through profile ball focus and trying to use those to to gauge how a play actually happened it's a little rough so I, I felt like just kind of avoiding coverage stuff for these linebackers. The last one is Kaiser White and that one's a little tough because I don't know like none of us know what the heck's gonna happen this season right. um yeah you know, 2018 he plays will he's starting will Yay woohoo here's your starting will and then that, and he goes gets hurt and then Thomas Davis is the will so maybe let's shift him over to Mike while bet Denzel Perryman is hurt. Well then that isn't you know he plays fine and then that kind of goes away. So now maybe let's move him over to Sam. Like, what What are we doing with him? I don't know. So the player, in terms of season comparison I have for him, no one's going to really like, but I'm going with it. I'm using Kyle Emanuel's career here to try to determine what his stat projections are going to be this season. It's not bad. Right. But it's going to depend heavily on the role he plays. Like, if everybody goes down and he ends up playing Mike, there's a huge difference in stats here. So I'm just going to go off of Kyle Emanuel's general career here i'd love to see him get more snaps i don't know how it's going to work between him and let's say nwosu or whatever i don't know anyway so i've been playing 400 snaps in 2020 he played 372 last season i hope they play him more so 400 at least is a slight increase but not not a whole lot so i have about 25 tackles five pressures and a sack it's not glorious but i mean i don't know what what else to project him as at this point i have no idea what his role is going to be so that's my linebackers i didn't include vigil because he could have 10 or he could have ten tackles, or he could have, like, 80. Depends on who goes down. So it's really just, like, I don't know, somewhere in between there. So it's not really it – depends how many games he ends up playing or starting or snaps or whatever. So that's it for linebackers. Let's hear defensive backs.
3: All right. So for corners, I'm just going to go with the five corners. I know they added a couple UDFAs, and I know they added Alohi, Alohi Gilman. Um, who is like that nickel hybrid between safety and nickel. Uh, I'm not including him. I don't think he plays defense at all. Well, let's hope Um, that we don't have a teamer situation again. So I'm just going with the five main corners and then the three main safeties. And so it's going Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, Desmond King, Mike Davis, and then Brandon face And then we got Derwin James, Rayshon Jenkins, and Nasir Adderley. And let's hope those are, again, the only guys that actually get stats built up. Otherwise, I just give up. So, (laughs) corners, we got tackles. uh, Casey Hayward tackles. Who cares? All the corners get 50 tackles. That's it. And um, I'm kidding. But Casey Hayward has always been known as a pretty sure tackler. So, I think he gets around his career average between like you could see anywhere between like 30 and 60 for a corner it's it's a weird stat to try and predict it just depends Um, I think there was that season where Trevor Williams had a ton of tackles because they just kept running stretch off his side over and over so tackles for corners are kind of hard to predict the only one I can say for sure is between Desmond King and Nasir Adderley who are going to kind of split this um, dime role that Adrian Phillips used to play Now Adrian Phillips, I believe in his 2018 season had around like 98 combined tackles between assist and solo. I think Nasir Adderley and Desmond King get a little bit more than that. I think they get around 110, 120 combined just because they're going to be moving around so much. You're going to see Nasir Adderley at free safety. You're going to see him at dimebacker. You're going to see Desmond King at dimebacker. You're going to see him at slot corner, outside corner. There's going to be a lot of movement there. So I think they, uh, I think they find the snaps to kind of produce there in that, in that replacement role for Adrian Phillips. So I, th- I think they combined for about 120 tackles. I had Desmond King getting closer to 60 and this year Adderley getting closer to 50. Um, again, this is kind of assuming this year Adderley plays in the way that the team has suggested he will. And then we've got Chris Harris up next, who I think has a little bit more of a, a cemented role there. So I, I, I do think he gets around 60, 60 ish tackles. Um, just cause he's in that slot role, which always seems for the chargers when that, when they're in that cover three to get around that many tackles, may, maybe a bit more, um, other than that, you got Michael Davis and Brandon face And obviously I think Brandon face is going to get a little more tackles than Mike Davis one, because something's going to happen to Mike Davis, whether he's benched or, out. I mean, he had two instances in one year where he was out during separate periods of time. So I don't have a lot of faith there that he's going to play the entire year. Um, that, and I just think Brandon Faison's a better player outside. I just, I just do. And so, moving on to interception. Well, sorry. Let's let's cover Derwin James tackles category first. I think Derwin James gets 110 tackles this season. About about there. Which I mean, he got pretty close to that in his rookie season, didn't he? And yeah. so. I think I think you're gonna see a similar stat line to his rookie season that four interception, hundred and ten tackles, about around ten to twelve pass breakups. So something like not insane, but it's not stats that are insane about Derwin James. It's how much he affects the game in different positions. So if you don't see like an insane stat line from Derwin James this year, it's not because he's a bad player. It's not even because he's like Hasn't developed as much as you want him to. He's just playing so many different positions, and the teams do their best to avoid that that strong safety when it's a Jamal Adams or Darwin James. But he's still going to have a really productive year based on the stats. I I think he'll have. Um, now for Casey Hayward, I believe his interceptions will range around four, uh, so a slight bump up, but it's mainly going to be because Chris Harris is going to be playing in the, across for him from him or playing in the slot. And I think that's going to give Casey Hayward more targets. And you've seen over the last two, three years, he has not gotten a lot of targets at all. Teams do their best to avoid him every play, it seems. So I think Casey Hayward gets a couple more opportunities, and I think he still doesn't get too much. So I don't have him having too many pass breakups, probably around that 12 range I had for for Derwin James. I just don't think he's going to get that many opportunities still. I think you're going to see teams try to... Try to take advantage of the linebackers uh, more than they tried to take over. Um, take advantage of Desmond King in the slot last year. It's gonna, it's gonna kind of switch over to taking advantage of Michael Davis or the linebackers. And we already know they will take advantage of Michael Davis as much as possible. So, Chris Harris, I don't think he gets too many interceptions. Actually, I know people are really excited for this one. I think he gets about two picks this year, which I mean is not. And it's not like outrageous that he only gets two picks. I mean, there's there's years where he doesn't produce a lot in that category. And it's just because, like I've said, it's kind of unreliable of a stat for, for corners to like guess their tackles or interceptions. Just, it just depends on how often the team goes their way. And for interceptions, you know, Chris Harris, he's a lockdown corner. I don't know how often teams are going to want to test him, um, especially if he's getting that old slot roll back. So you got to think if Chris Harris is going against a slot receiver, usually that's a number 2 or 3 option unless you got your wide receiver one playing the slot role. I don't think I don't think Chris Harris is going to see too many targets this year, but I do think he gets a decent amount of tackles just from playing that that cover 3 slot role for a majority of the time. Uh, Desmond King, I already kind of touched on him a little bit with the tackles category with Nasir Adderley. I think he only gets about one pick this year. And that's not because Desmond King is necessarily bad in coverage. I just think it's because he's never been a one to produce in that category. He just doesn't right. have that burst that allows him to jump a route. And he's really limited in what kind of zones he plays, whether it's flats or hooks. He doesn't really get to play man-to-man and uh, find opportunities to um, jump in front of those routes. He doesn't really play uh, a deep... Deep third or anything like that, so he's really limited in what he does. I think, I think that one interception is pretty. I, th- I think that's that's fair, but with Desmond King, it's not necessarily interceptions where it's going to show. It's not going to fly off the the stat sheet. I think it's sacks, um, where you're going to see Desmond King get three sacks, and that's that's valuable from a corner or a dimebacker. And I think that number actually goes up in the new role he might play for the team, I think he might get it even like up to five this year, which is awesome. That's so valuable to have from a corner. Um, then we got Mike Davis. I think Mike Davis gets a pick off of like the the one pick overthrow that these corners normally get for the Chargers. We're like, well, oh, this guy doesn't have a pick this year. And all of a sudden they play Derek Carr <laughs> and it, everything goes right. I, I don't think Mike Davis is going to have a very good year. I just don't. I I've liked Mike Davis. I mean, he seems like a really good guy, but he's just he's kind of a liability. And there's usually a specialty you want your corner to have, and his from what Chargers Twitter says is covering the deep pass, right? He he can play in stride with guys like Tyreek Hill and um what's his name? Henry Ruggs. So, I get it. Mike Davis is lengthy and he's fast. But to cover the deep pass, there's a very important skill you need. And it's getting your head around. And he can't do it. So, I don't think he lasts too long And it is in a division that has Tyreek Hill and Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy. I think he's going to get taken advantage of a few times. And I just don't think it's going to last very long. And honestly, in my opinion, Brandon Faison did just as well as him in deep coverage. It's more like the underneath routes where Brandon Faison struggled. But at least Brandon Faison can also tackle. And at least he gets his head around, right? Right. So I think Brandon Faison actually outproduces Mike Davis. I think he gets two picks. I think he eventually overtakes that CB2 outside corner position. If Desmond King does not have it, that's the tough part here. And I think he gets you know, around 30 tackles. I don't think he plays enough to get a huge amount of tackles, but who cares about tackles anyway? And I think he gets around the five pass breakups. Um, so not too much, not, not hugely productive, but I also think Desmond King, Chris Harris, and Casey Hayward are all going to eat into those two snaps. Those, uh, the snaps from Mike Davis and Brandon face I do. I, I do think they see the field. I just don't think it's as much as people think. Um, as for, as for like Rayshon Jenkins, this one's tough for me because he does have some range on him and he did show mm-hmm. some flashes last year. But I don't know how much a. First off, I don't know how much the cover two sits him. I mean, in theory, it would sit him okay because he has less ground to cover and he's just fine in the cover three role. So. Then you've got Nasir Adderley who could also eat up some of his snaps. You had the team talking about him maybe potentially playing strong safety, which some Chargers beat writers and analysts have said they don't buy it. Um, So with Rayshawn Jenkins and Nasir Adderley, I had a hard time just gauging what these guys are going to do. So I had Rayshawn Jenkins having a little bit of a down year. I had him down to two interceptions and like six pass breakups. So it's like, A little bit of a regression, but enough to where it's like, it's not like he's abysmal. It's just the production isn't there, whether it's teams aren't testing it or whatever the case may be, or he's just out of position. I don't know. It, it was really hard for me to try and find even like a comparison for Rayshawn Jenkins of like, okay, what player has kind of like been in a similar role where it's like there's st- strong safety playing free safety and the team has hinted at him moving back to that position of strong safety. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. um, I I can't, maybe Marcus Gilchrist, maybe. Okay. And, you know, I even, I even looked at his stats and I mean, he went from corner to safety. So I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. Um, so Rayshon Jenkins, it was a, l- a little tougher for me, and he's also not the best tackler, so I had his tackle numbers low. Um, but, yeah, I I, I, could, I had a really hard time with Rayshon Jenkins and trying to figure out his stat line. Uh, I'll assume he's the the starting free safety, just like he was last year. I mean, that's pretty obvious at this point, unless Nasir utterly just blows up, but... Um, Yeah, so I have him at two interceptions and about like six to eight pass breakups. And then Nasir Adderley, I kind of briefly covered him. Uh, I I believe he gets two interceptions this year. I think they're later in the season. I think they're around like week 12 ish. And then you're going to see him get more and more snaps towards those later games. And I think he gets around around 50, 50, 40 tackles. uh, And maybe six pass breakups. So I, I have the secondary doing okay in the pass breakup department, but uh, when you when you take account of interceptions, I don't think you're going to get as many interceptions as people think. Um, and I think it's going to be because teams are going to try and take advantage of Kenneth Murray and Drew Tranquil and um, Kaiser White. I mean, I'd have more faith in Kaiser White than maybe I should. So we'll see, but... Um, I don't know. I just, I just feel like the interception numbers aren't going to be as high as people think. I, I'm just a hunch.
1: Quick question then, and I just wanted to see what you guys thought about this. Desmond King was a huge surprise last year in terms of how much he regressed. Now, part of that was his punt and kick returning. Is there any guy on this defense of any of the positions or whatever we just mentioned that you think would have that sudden decline that we're not really even expecting instead of taking a step forward he kind of take a step back i mean i don't want to say like perryman because like i just don't think like he's going to there's not much of a whole lot of a step back to take but king took a huge step back last season so is there anybody on this roster even a new guy on the roster like a free agent that you think might take that step back this season
3: so there's two i would keep my name like my eye on like two names mm-hmm. uh first off being chris harris and yeah. second being uchenna and mosu uh, I think there's a lot of blind faith in Uchenna and Wosu among fans right now. I mean, they see those explosive plays like once every ten games, and they're like, "Wow, that guy's amazing. He needs to be Ingram's replacement." Um, I would suggest pumping the brakes on Wosu a lot because yeah, the explosive plays might be there. The consistency is not by sure. any means. I like. I think there was one game where I was impressed with him, like really impressed with him across the board, like all around his play was great. And then the others, it was just kind of like he disappeared and he would have like one flash yeah. play in that game and then he was just locked up 100%. And everybody started realizing, oh, wow, this team misses Ingram a lot. And mm-hmm. so I would say pump the brakes on you, and Wosu. I would not be surprised if he took a step back. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden he broke out onto the scene with like six sacks, seven sacks. So it, it's tough. It's tough for me to tell, but I would say be a little wary of that. And then um Chris Harris. It, it's he's been losing production every like his production has been slowing down a lot lately. Uh who knows, maybe the slot roll picks it back up, but he did struggle a little bit more as that outside corner last year. So we'll see. Um But like I said, he is moving back to slot corner more often than not. So uh, it wouldn't be surprising if he had a a rebound year. But I did give him low interception numbers as well. So, I I mean, don't expect too much from him is what I'm saying. Like, don't expect him to come in and be this elite corner he's uh, been earlier in his career or all throughout his career. I think he's one of the best corners ever even. So, I mean, I have a ton of respect for him. I just wouldn't be surprised if it took him a little bit in a, in almost like a Thomas Davis sense where he has a really slow start uh, and then picks it back up, especially with training camp being a question mark. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Uh, and then the last name I'll say is Drew Tranquil. And I, I guess I've been kind of on this train. I just, I'm not as impressed with his film as everybody else is. I, I've even seen some people say, like, who was it, Daniel Jeremiah, saying he would be a, a pro yeah. bowler this year. Maybe because of inflated tackle numbers And like, maybe he gets like 120 tackles and everybody's like pro bowl and sure, which is the biggest lie ever in history, but that's <laughs> for another time. Uh, just brief, brief little summary there. I hate tackle numbers influencing a player to be an all pro or pro bowler. It's bull crap. Um, anyways, that's again, we'll rant about that another time. I'll I'll dedicate a two-hour-long podcast to it. And (laughs) Drew Tranquil, I just see too much hesitation. Too much. And so if people believe that he is going to be this next great linebacker for the Chargers, there's just one thing I need to see before I'm sold on Drew Tranquil, and that's confidence. Because he hesitates way too much on the football field. He should have had way more explosive plays than he did. And you just saw like that slow startup of like, eh, but what if the play doesn't go that way? Or should I jump that route? He's way too conservative. And I think a part of that is because he was a new starter. He didn't even start the season off as the, the number one linebacker for the Chargers. He kind of earned his snaps. So, I mean, that could be part of it. And maybe he'll be much more confident in year two. I mean, it's probably likely that he will be. But I need to see it first. I need to see no more hesitation. I need to see him be confident with his reads and his keys because he's a really smart linebacker. He just needs to take advantage of what he what he sees on like with his keys, and that's it's not me saying like he's slow to process things. You can tell he's quick to process things. It's just a little hesitation, um, which is extremely frustrating because when you have a player as smart and explosively athletic as he is. He should be able to make those splash plays. And he just, there was like this little, this little snap of hesitation that kept him from doing so. So I need to see it from Drew Tranquil before I'm ready to say that he will have the productive year that everybody believes he will. And I think we'll find out relatively soon, like week one or two, if he has that, um, if it's clicked for him and he's just flying all over the field.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Nwosu first because I think of anyone, at least in the front seven, I think Nwosu has the biggest range of outcomes because, like Jason said, he he could eat into Ingram's snap share a lot. Uh, he could also go back to like, his 26%, 27% snap share that he had as a, as a rookie and, and not do very well. Um, I agree. I don't think that he is a consistent and reliable player. I think he's a splash player, which is why I've always been so anti-trade Ingram or not bring back Ingram unless they – draft a defensive end early next year like I I haven't seen enough out of Unwosu to feel comfortable with him being the starter and you know I I can't really see that changing but you know he could play around 45% of the snaps this year theoretically and get 6 or 7 sacks you know that's totally possible Uh, I just don't know how likely I feel like that is Um, and the opposite side of that coin is Melvin Ingram you know I I think it it does make sense for this team to try and see what they have in in Unwosu this year and and play him a lot more than, you know, in years past. And, you know, maybe Melvin Ingram has a, as a you know, he's on the wrong side of 30, so maybe that production kind of drops off a little bit. I haven't seen anything on tape to make me feel like Ingram's play has dropped off at all. You know, I mentioned in 13 games he actually produced almost as much as he did in 2018, so I, I think Ingram is still a good player. Um, but we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, or I think it might have been even on the Patreon Q&A, like, the players that we're most worried about. The players that I'm most worried about are Justin Jones and Jerry Tillery. Like, we have no idea how either of those two are developing. They're both young players. There's no offseason. And they both have the need to develop more physically, and, and you know, we have no idea what's going on there. And Jerry Tillery, very similar to Nwosu, is a splash player guy. He's not going to be a kind of consistent disruptive force. Like I think Justin Jones can be, um, but that snap, that snap share that those two are going to share are just going to be really interesting to watch, but I think both of them could be disappointing next year.
1: All right. Good job guys. Thank you very much, Steven. Let's move on to that interview. You had talk about the, who you interviewed with and what it was all about.
2: Yeah. So I interviewed Ryan DiRude from the LA football network podcast um, you know, I've been trying to get some more information out there to our listeners about, you know, each of the rookies and, um, he's covered the UCLA Bruins. So we did focus a little bit at the start on Joshua Kelly and, uh, just the kind of player that he is and, and his impressions of him. And, uh, hopefully that gets some Chargers fans excited a little bit. And then we also talked about, you know, just the Rams and Chargers dynamic and, and how the off season has gone for both of those two from a rebranding standpoint, uh, and then we also mentioned some of the XFL situation going on. And, you know, he obviously covered Storm Norton for the Wildcats in the XFL. And then uh, we also talked about Jason's guy, Josh Johnson, who just for some reason has not been able to pan out in the NFL. But,
3: yeah, it's a lot of good crap. bullcrap. That's total crap. <laughs> He's so good. He is such a good quarterback. He was killing it in the XFL. Like, he was obviously did not belong there. He just, like... He had two games less than PJ Walker and he was already caught up almost. Like, come on. <sighs> and even like when the Redskins gave him a chance and he was just going off against the Redskins. It's just like why? Why? Or not against the Redskins. He was on the Redskins. I'm I'm heated. All right. You had to bring it up. You had to bring it up. I met Josh Johnson, by the way. He's a really cool dude. Give him a chance, NFL. Yeah, well, I, you know, it certainly is a interesting point of uh conversation
2: because he was you know kind of predicted to be the face of the xfl for a little bit there and and you know he really played well and obviously i agree i think he should be in nfl as well but you know a lot of, a, a big range of topics with ryan i think chargers fans will really like listening to this interview and and you know hopefully they'll learn a lot about joshua
3: kelly and storm norton particularly all
1: right let's finish Just, up with this interview. Oh, Josh what? Freeman Jason. started
3: over Josh Johnson. That's a bull crap. I Whatever. Hate it. They all stink I hate
1: and they're not Chargers. Let's move <laughs> on. All right. So <laughs> let's listen to that interview with Ryan. Enjoy.
2: All right, Chargers fans. So happy to be joined today by Ryan Dyrud of the LA Football Network podcast. How are you doing today, Ryan?
4: I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, talk some Chargers football.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm really happy to that you could join us today. And we are going to cover. Uh, Quite a bit of topics today with Ryan, but first things first, uh, as someone who covered the UCLA Bruins and and has some experience there, uh, what was your reaction when the Chargers took Joshua Kelly, and what can Chargers fans expect of Kelly as a running back and and as a player?
4: Yeah, I I love this pick. I know when it was taken off the board at four, a lot of people were surprised, maybe thought it was too early. Um, I was higher on Kelly, maybe just because I followed him all year at UCLA, and he was pretty much the lone bright spot, him and Devin. Asi Asi who went to the the Patriots they were kind of the two lone bright spots of uh certainly the offense and even primarily the team but uh he's just a really hard downhill runner um great effort guy uh gets stronger as the game goes on I think he was against uh I'm trying to think of the game but there's a game he had Arizona I believe he had 34 carries for like 185 yards so he's a guy that can tote the rock a bunch of times and um so I just think he's gonna fit great with this backfield. He's a great compliment to Eckler. Um, he's a little more similar to like what Justin Jackson brings, um, but obviously just has a little less tread coming in as a rookie. Um, but just the compliment he brings to Austin Eckler, I think is going to be great for this uh, running back core. And those three together, I think are going to really create a true back by committee. In my opinion, I know Eckler's the lead guy, but I think it's going to be, you're really going to see Eckler with that 10 to 15 carries and Jackson and, and Kelly splitting by seven or so each. So, uh, they really just have a good three-pronged attack that I'm excited about, and I think Kelly's a great fit and a, a great pick that people should be excited about.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's going to be uh, more of a committee than we're certainly used to. You know, obviously, Austin Eckler has gotten his first share of carries, but for the most part, Melvin Gordon has has been the guy. But I agree, I think this is going to be more of a committee than usual, and that's really kind of the trend we're seeing around the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can look at the 49ers as, as kind of like, you know the the new hotness on offense and they have four or five guys that can come in at any moment and and be the guy for one game so uh was there any moment uh leading up to the draft where you could kind of pinpoint where okay i can see joshua kelly going earlier earlier than people
4: thought so a while back uh my co-host and i we kind of debating this as well. And he was more under the impression that Kelly would go undrafted uh, or oh, wow. be like like seventh round pick. And I was like, no, I think he's a, he's a third to fifth round guy. I think that's his kind of spot. So I, I don't know if I necessarily pinpoint a spot in the draft where I thought he could go while watching it, but you We saw what Edwards Hilaire was the first back taken with the last pick in the first round. And then kind of slowly after that, they started getting picked up one by one in the second. So I kind of thought that fourth was still a good sweet spot for him just because we saw more backs go. I thought he went ahead of some other backs that maybe I I was surprised. I believe he went ahead of uh, Zach Moss, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or right around the same time as Zach Moss, who went to Buffalo, um, who I think is a really good back out of Utah too, but but uh, I think it was a good spot for him, and and I just you know as it was unfolding, I thought there wasn't a better place for him to stay right here in LA, and and I'm excited to get to cover him still as he's LA football.
2: Yeah, for sure, we're we're really excited. I, once AJ Dillon went in the second round, I kind of figured like, okay, the running backs are going to go earlier than people think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I thought maybe the running back would be kind of the position that would uh, kind of fall to the wayside as receivers and tackles went early, but you know it turned out that a lot of tackles and receivers fell into the draft. Um, so your other thoughts on the Chargers draft draft picks, you know, I think Justin Herbert was pretty predictable once uh, Tua was the pick for the Dolphins at number five, but Kenneth Murray was obviously a, a big surprise. Uh, what other thoughts do you have on the Chargers draft?
4: Yeah. I mean, Kenneth Murray, I think is a great pick. I think the surprise was just Tom Telesco trading and moving right. back to the first. <laughs> Telesco is the king of just staying pat and holding his picks. So the fact that he moved up, essentially just gave up a third because he moved up about 14 spots. Right. Uh, Kenneth Murray, I think it's going to be a tremendous middle linebacker for years to come in this, in this, what they really kind of didn't truly lacking, especially against in the run defense. I think Murray will give them that. Um, I like the receivers they got and Joe Reed and KJ Hill, both uh, complimenting Mike Williams and, and Keenan Allen bring different kills, skill sets. I'm sure you guys have talked about it nauseam, but KJ Hill in the seventh round is just an absolute steal yeah Um, in this draft so that alone caps off the entire class as like a a stamp of approval um aloha gilman he was uh, a lot of people talk about at the head scratcher but you know a great special teams guy guy that comes in adds depth to the safety room who is who is a lot of we saw a lot of injuries last year um but i think he'll be really make his stamp on on special teams when you get a guy like that in the sixth round i think that's good value so um yeah just overall i thought it was a good draft i mean they got positions of need they got players to add uh, making positions better, and they got the receivers that they needed to add a little explosion to the offense that we've seen them lacking. I mean, there hasn't been a good third receiver in years, I can remember. I mean, Tyrell Williams had some glimmers when he was here. Travis Benjamin with healthy, was decent, but there hasn't been a true third receiver that's been good. So hopefully Joe Reed or KJ Hill can really put their stamp on that. And and yeah, I talked about Kenneth Murray, but I love his addition to this defense.
2: Yeah, we're all really excited. The three of us are all super excited about Kenneth Murray and, and the the possibilities of just that speed and athleticism that he's able to bring. Um so both the Chargers and Rams, you cover both of them. You know, obviously they both have done some rebranding this offseason. Uh I don't I'm not going to ask you to say who won or lost the rebranding, but just just your general thoughts on how both of those teams handled the the process of you know, changing and heading into this new era of football in SoFi Stadium?
4: <laughs> well, I'll just say it. the Chargers won this rebrand. Okay. <laughs> it's it's it, Here's the thing. The Rams rebrand, the logo is going to grow on people. I know it's been hated. It's going to grow. The, the uniforms, I think, are actually really cool. I, I like the new helmet design. Um, I know it's gotten some hated by fans universally. It, it's kind of loved. But where they went wrong and what they couldn't foresee, obviously, with this whole coronavirus pandemic, the way they launched it just really kind of blew up in their faces. I think they had planned on doing a two-pronged attack in launching, and they planned on it centering around SoFi Stadium. And when this happened, all that kind of blew up in their faces, and we ended up having leaks and all that. So it it was really just the process of how they released it that made it that much worse. And then the fact that people didn't like the logo either just expounded upon it. But if they were able to do their plan, I don't think it would have been as universally disliked as it was. The Chargers, I think, did it just you know kind of under the radar. When they released the logo, it was almost like, oh, okay, here's a logo video. And it was just a very subtle change, but it was great. And then doing the good uh, morning football release of the uniforms with Joey Bosa. I mean, they have the best uniforms in the NFL. So hard to botch that up when your, your design's that good. So uh, I, I just think the Chargers did a good job doing it kind of under the radar, letting people come to them instead of the Rams. We're kind of trying to push it on people, and then people kind of just threw it back in their faces but overall both uniforms both logos i think are good i think they're good around the brand of la football and the rams won in the rams case it'll just continue to grow on people and if you win no one's going to care
2: yeah winning solves everything for sure and i think you know that's just been the the topic of debate really at least on twitter i was like who's got the better future who's got the brighter future um we actually had a question uh on our recent episode of who do you who who does it matter more to to win a Super Bowl first? Um, I don't know if you have any kind of thoughts on that. If there's like a race to the Super Bowl for both of these teams or just in general, who do you think it's it's uh, more important to be better right away in the new stadium?
4: Mm, that's a good question. I th- I think, um, I mean, obviously it's important for both, but I think if, let me put it like this, it's, I think more important. For the Rams to win first, just because I think this at this point is their city. They were the the team coming back, had been in LA for a number of years. They left, now they're back. So this is kind of their stronghold, and and the Chargers are kind of playing catch up. So I think it means more for their stronghold to win first. I think it would do more in for the Chargers in the short term because I think the Chargers are building a, a brand kind of yeah. slowly. They've had a really good off season, which I think this off season has done really really good for the Chargers in this market, and they, we've already seen them grow more with a fan base and if they were to win that would just catapult them even farther uh than what they are now so i think it would do more for the Chargers. But i think it would be more important for the rams to continue kind of their stronghold
2: that's a good way of putting that i like that um do you think we're headed i don't i don't want to say this like disrespectfully to the chargers at all like yeah. you know, i love the chargers obviously but do you think we're headed towards like a laker and clipper type dynamic where it's almost looked upon as like the clipper's or like the little brother, like, do you think that's where we're headed with the Rams and Chargers?
3: I th- yeah.
4: I mean, it seems to be whenever there's two teams in a city, that always seems to be the case. i mean, the Jets and the Giants uh, out of New York and um, you have the Dodgers and Angels and there, there always seems to be that dynamic. I don't know how you kind of get away from that. I think the only way they do that is if the Chargers really kind of more adopt like Orange County as their, area and leave LA to the Rams. But if they're both trying to fight for LA, unless, like we said, unless the Charters win a Super Bowl first, then they can kind of throw that moniker out because I mean you can't be the little brother when you're the one winning all the time. So true. Um, but yeah, I mean I think it's hard not to kind of get that adoption. And just because the Rams do have a stronghold right now, they have been here longer. They have the history here. Uh it'll always kind of be that until the the Charters kind of take it a name for themselves, which we see in basketball you compare to the Lakers and Clippers. Clippers have it done. And so I think if the Clippers were able to, uh, you know, dismount the Lakers and start winning, they would probably still never surpass the Lakers fan base, but I mean, that's what winning 16 NBA championships kind of gets you where the Rams haven't done that. So if the chargers can win one or two. Um, they, I think they can get over that Hill, but I think we are seeing that, but I think right now it's more of an even playing field than the national media would, uh, would give credit for.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I, again, the, the winning solves in everything mantra, so I want to, you know, want to shift gears to, to real
4: quick, start, sorry to cut you off. Uh, I was at the joint training camp last year down in Irvine when the Rams and Chargers they did two joints and the right. atmosphere there was great. I mean, there was probably more Rams fans considering it was the Rams camp in Irvine, but there was a great number of Chargers fans. So I think there's, there's a really good LA football base here uh, that just, as I mentioned, the national media really doesn't talk about that. They just talk about, away fans and all this and that. So I, I do like mentioning that, that I do think LA football as a, as a whole is really, really getting a good um, uh, growth here. So I think, I think we'll, we're going to see good things and, and as long as they win, it's only gonna get better. So sorry, go ahead.
2: No, you're fine. I I love that comment. And, and honestly, like, yeah, you know, I know the chargers haven't had like the best fan turnout or, or at least, you know, it seems like that from the outside, but every experience I've had going to games and going to training camp and going to the draft party. There's been a lot of fans. It's just yeah. the economics of going to that stadium. It got so expensive these last couple of years that, you know, the average family that lives in LA is not going to spend, you know, $200 on a football ticket when, you know, that's, that's just the reality of the situation and in, in football in general, but especially, you know, in LA in the small stadium and, and the team wasn't winning last year. So I've just kind of gotten sick of the the Chargers have no fans yeah. argument that, that goes around on Twitter.
4: It's just a lazy argument. And, and you mentioned the money and LA, LA and fans in general, not just LA, but especially LA people are opportunistic. And if you're, if you're say father, son, you want to go to a Chargers game or say you even have season tickets. So you've already paid for your tickets, but all of a sudden the, the Packers or Vikings are coming to town and someone from Minneapolis or Green Bay wants to leave the frigid temperatures of the, of the Midwest in November <laughs> and are willing to pay you $350 to $400 for a ticket, yeah, I'm going to sit at home with my kid and not have to fight traffic and make 800 bucks and still get to watch my team and have free beer at home instead of spending $15 for a right. ball bounce. So it's not that there's not fans. It's just, yeah, if you're going to make 800 bucks for two tickets, why would you right. go to the game? It's, it's better to watch at home at the home experience. So I think that doesn't get talked about and everyone just sees the opposing fans, but it's like, well, everyone wants to come to Southern California in November when it's cold everywhere else.
2: Yeah, Exactly uh i know me personally i you know i live up in central california and my father-in-law is actually a packers fan and we were thinking of making the drive down to to that game with with my wife's family up here but you know tickets just got outrageously expensive for that one and, and the vikings one too and even the last home game against the raiders was crazy expensive
4: yeah yeah it's nuts
2: <laughs> yeah so i, I do want to transition a little bit to the xfl uh you guys covered that and obviously the la wildcats and uh unfortunately it you know didn't pan out it got shut down you know it seems like vince mcmahon maybe is trying to sell it to someone right now uh what was your experience like covering the xfl i think it was again not a topic that was super talked about but what was your what was your experience like covering that team
4: it was awesome man i had such a blast uh had awesome access uh all the people with the organization were super cool from the top down met heather the the president of the team many times you know coach moss uh, so be, being able to be at practice down in Long Beach, they practice at the Long Beach city college. So it had that kind of high school college feel, at least at practice, just being in a small facility, uh, their headquarters were in Beverly Hills and then obviously playing at dignity. So, you know, traveling all over the city. Uh, but it was just so fun being able to to see these players that were given a second opportunity or for some of them third, if they played in the AAF or played in CFL and just the passion they had for the game. And I think that the league itself was doing things the right way. They, their social media team was unparalleled and we're seeing a lot of that be adapted into now nfl social media teams i think the charters have have started really ramping up their social media presence this last off season and a lot of that i think is attributed to what the xfl did um and i think just you know some of the rules we will start seeing kind of maybe blend over a lot of their rules i think were, were kind of cool some of the different things spe- specifically the kickoff rule i don't know how uh, familiar you are with it but it's just it allowed for kick returns but it was a lot safer format um but yeah to answer your question overall it was just an awesome league uh got to know a lot of the players and it was a bummer that <laughs> you know it, for so many reasons obviously not just football but this world pandemic happened right. and, and had to end it short because I think we were going to see uh spring football for years to come if, if that didn't happen
2: yeah I think the, you know, I've always thought that a spring professional league would be a really good idea and I think you know people want to watch football and you know, thankfully, I, some players have, have made the transition to the NFL and, you know, the Chargers have signed two of them in Storm Norton and Donald Parham. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your impression of those two players and, and what can we expect uh, of their time in Los Angeles?
4: Yeah, well, Parham's a beast, man. I mean, he's a big tight end, had a great five games in Dallas. He, I think he led the entire league and for sure tight ends. I think he even led uh, receivers in uh, yards or he was right up there. So uh, he's a great threat. Obviously, it's Hunter Henry's you know, position, right. Uh, Parham can come in and he's super athletic and I think he'll make the transition. Well, I think uh, people will be surprised and a lot of people will wonder where this kid came from and then realize, Oh, he played in the XFL for five games. Um, Storm Norton, another guy, he was, he was the staple, of the offensive line with the Wildcats played left tackle, um, big guy out of Toledo, um, you know, I think because of the the one question mark really the Chargers have on offensive line is the left tackle position. And so it's good to get good depth there. A guy that played at a professional level as a starter, um, faced some good defenders. I know it's technically not the, the same level as NFL, but still faced some good, good talent there right. in the XFL. So I think he'll come in and compete with whether it's Sam Tevy or, or any of the guys there that are trying to, Trent Scott, any guys going for left tackle, I think he'll uh, compete and uh, I don't think he'll be necessarily starting day one, but he'll definitely add depth and and will push those guys. And we could see Storm Norton as a as a charter out there on a opening day. Who knows?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if you know this, but his jersey is actually available for purchase on the Chargers Pro Shop, and it's one of like seven jersey options it. that you can get.
4: That's great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it must be the name. It must be the name Storm.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the Chargers are trying to send us some some signals or what. Um, but this has been, been a great interview. I just have one last question. Uh, why do people sleep on Josh Johnson and why hasn't he worked out in the NFL?
4: Dude, I don't know, man. That's a good, I mean, he, what played for 13 teams in the NFL. Um, yeah, he was, you know, I had, I talked, we talked a little pre-show. I had him on, I talked to him a few days ago, had him on my show. Awesome guy. Really good character guy. Great leader. Loves the game. Um, he's 34. So I don't know if it's just age now. Cause I thought after his. His XFL campaign, he would have for sure gotten another shot in the NFL because had he not missed week one and all of training camp due to injury, he would have far and away been the number one quarterback. I mean, he was still right behind P.J. Walker even after missing that time. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's got a good ball. He's good accuracy. He's, he's mobile. Um, he can do a lot with his legs, extend plays, and his leadership is, you know, something you can't teach. So it, he's probably done at this point being what his age is, and I think he's accepted that and kind of moved on. But, but yeah, I don't know why he uh, – hasn't stuck with more teams or hasn't gotten more opportunity in the NFL.
2: Yeah. It seemed like he was always that guy like, Oh, disaster strikes. We need someone to come off the street and start some games. It was like, we'll sign Josh Johnson. Yeah. And I'm like, so clearly the guy has value and he's a good enough quarterback to come off the streets and start for your team. But you yeah, know, just didn't stick around long-term which was unfortunate.
4: That's a great point. I think that was when he got those few starts in Washington, he hadn't played in like 13 months or something. And they just like, Oh sign it. You're, you're starting on Sunday.
2: Yeah, so it's just really unfortunate. I, hopefully, the XFL does come back because I, I, you know, I want to watch some more of Josh Johnson and and be able to to watch players like him in in that similar situation.
4: Yeah, I hope so, man. Because I mean, what they did cool is they they weren't trying to take the NFL head on. They basically say we want to be a complementary league that can give players value, give them a second chance, and give them an opportunity to get back in the NFL. So weird stuff's going on, man. I don't know how much you've been paying attention to it, but there's rumors that McMahon's trying to buy back his. He filed bankruptcy so he could get out of uh, paying le- uh, lenders, and now he's trying to buy it back. So who knows if uh, we'll see the XFL back next year? Now,
2: Vince McMahon has has always been an, an interesting character, that's for sure.
4: Yeah, to say the least.
2: <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. This has been uh, one of my favorite interviews. You know, we covered a lot of topics, but I think you know uh, our listeners are going to be able to to take a lot from this interview. And I thank you so much for joining us.
4: Yeah, brother. Thanks so much for having me and uh, keep up the good work you guys are doing covering the Chargers.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. And we appreciate uh, your work as well and wish you and your family nothing but the best in this crazy time. You as well. Stay healthy. All right, Ryan, thank you very much
1: for interviewing with Steven and working with us. I wish you, your wife and your daughter all the best right now. Jason and Steven, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. As always, where can Chargers fans find you on social media?
2: I am at Steve and I Hagelin and at GC podcast 17. Uh, I tweeted out the other day that we are going to do our Patreon giveaway for the two hats to two different Patreon users. Uh, we will accept entries all the way up until June 1st. So it'll be a June giveaway. Uh, so if you're interested, you need that, that extra charters hat, you know, make sure you sign up for Patreon as little as $1 gets you an entry into that giveaway.
3: Uh, you can find me at Centauri 13 on Twitter uh, at GAC Podcast Seventeen on Instagram. Whenever I decide to take care of the Instagram, um, I'm on vacation, so screw you, Instagram. Um, and just prayers up for for Ryan's daughter. Let if you if you're a praying man, just send them your prayers. Make sure everything's all well. Um, add him on Twitter or message him. Let him know he's in your thoughts and. I'll see y'all over the over the coming months. I'm really excited to see if we actually get training camp going. I'm excited for the season. And you know, just let let me know at me and tell me how crappy my stat predictions were. I think they were pretty crappy too. I mean I mean um I would love to give Derwin James twelve interceptions. I would love to. I'm sorry. Um but yeah, just let me know on Twitter, give me all your feedback.
1: Yeah, so uh, Jason must have been on vacation like Forrest Gump's dad's been on vacation because he has uh, not been around the Instagram very much. So thanks, Steven, for keeping that <laughs> one afloat. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> this is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Shoon on Twitter or just search up the Guilty as Charged podcast on Facebook to find us there because we have very few followers. But it's Facebook and no one's on there anymore, so who cares? Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you again, Ryan. We'll see you guys next time.
5: MyPatriotSupply.com